And now, friends, would you please stand as you're able for the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 5. On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some, were, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let down his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So today we're continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke and really focusing on the question, Who is Jesus? Last week, Jesus began his public ministry by going into his hometown in the synagogue and reading the words of Isaiah 61 and gave the thesis statement of his ministry. He says, I've come to be God's promised Messiah. I've come to heal the blind. I've come to set at liberty the captives. I've come to shine light on those who sit in darkness. And from between Luke 4 and this passage that we read, we, we see exactly that. The ministry of Jesus is all heaven breaking loose. He goes to uh, the blind and he heals them. He goes to those who are afflicted with uh, evil spirits and he, and he brings, he casts them out. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's, re- he's reversing the current of history. Because up to this moment in time, all of history has is, is, is been moving in the direction of order to disorder. Uh, the law of entropy was reigning supreme and then Jesus comes and the flow begins to reverse. Uh, when, when people come into contact with Jesus, they leave better than when they, than when they walked in. Those who are, are sick and, are, and have uh, afflicted with diseases, they find healing. Those who are uh, impure and unclean, they leave ritually clean and cleansed before God. When Jesus comes, all, uh, uh, all of heaven is breaking into the present, and the present is being transformed with the, with the beauty of heaven. And in this passage right here, we see Jesus continuing that theme, reversing the flow, uh, uh, bringing order to disorder, bringing healing uh, where there is sickness. And then he does something at a, at, a, at a level deeper than we might have expected or perceived. See, Jesus continues to let heaven break into earth, and he does that through forgiveness. 
He does that through forgiveness. And really, our focus this morning is looking at Jesus in this account of the healing of the paralyzed man and the calling uh, of Levi the tax collector through this question of forgiveness. And we'll frame our time by asking two questions. Forgiveness, why do we need it? And second, how do we get it? So why do we need forgiveness? And then secondly, how do we get it? So let's consider first, why do we need forgiveness? And as we do, don't let the craziness of the story that we just read uh, uh, just get, get lost on you. And now it's easy, it's a temptation for religious people, for those who have grown up in the church, to have heard these stories of Jesus and the miraculous things he did and just... Uh, you know, and, and just make it think like it was a, like a trip to the grocery store for Jesus. We think it's so mundane and ordinary that the amazement of it gets lost on us. So let's walk back through the story again and, and try to do it with, you know, with fresh ears, with soft hands that haven't developed calluses on them. So imagine the scene with us. Jesus has just returned from a business trip. And like many of us who go on work trips, uh, we find that work has followed him home. Jesus has come back to Capernaum, and the crowds have flocked to Jesus. In fact, Jesus is inside uh, a home of a friend, and the home quickly starts to fill out, turns into this standing room only event where Jesus is teaching and preaching to the crowds, and they're hanging on every word that he's saying. And while, uh, while the sermon is going on, another scene is developing outside because four friends have brought on a mat a fifth friend of theirs who has been paralyzed for an indefinite period of time. And I, I just love how Luke introduces them. Uh, he says, and some men came, right? And they came. And, and who are they? Well, we could describe them as the greatest community group ever. They have a friend in need and they go and rush to bring him to Jesus. And they get to the door and they realize that we're not going to be able to get inside the conventional way. People are not budging. They, they're listening to Jesus and they're not being distracted by those uh, who are around them. And so the crazy friend in the group has an idea. Uh, do you guys have that crazy friend? Kids in the room, do you have a crazy friend who has those uh, out-of-the-box ideas? Are you that crazy friend? Well, the, the crazy friend has an idea. He says, hey, you know, there's a ladder kind of hanging out by the door here. Why don't we climb up the ladder? And since we can't get in the front door, let's make a door of our own. And any sane person in that conversation would have shut the whole idea down. But looking at the paralyzed man, seeing how far they come and how close they are to actually reaching their objective, they say, you know what? Let's do it. Let's go up on the roof and start uh, to, to break in. And in the Greek, it's funny that the Greek is actually, they start to unroof the roof. They remove the, that phrase, remove the tiles, is literally to unroof the roof. And now let's go back inside. You're, there's a group of people standing around, listening to Jesus, hanging on every word, and then suddenly a little bit of dust starts to fall on their head. Uh, and at first they don't make anything of it, but then more starts to come, and then a beam of light breaks through from the roof into the room, and you start to see the dust particles dancing around the piece of dust. And then a little bit more of the, of the roof starts to fall in on you, and then suddenly you look up, and what do you see but four faces looking down at you? And they said, all right, we've made it. And so a little bit more of the roof starts to fall in, and then what you, what you, can, you can only describe as Tom Cruise from Mission Impossible begins to descend inside the room, a paralyzed man on the mat. And in the midst of all this chaos in the scene, uh, the, the homeowner is probably calling his insurance agent, calling a lawyer uh, to, to, do, to, to make sure that those people who damaged his home pay. But then Jesus looks at this paralyzed person as if he's the only person in the room. He says, he says, man, the other gospels, Mark and, Luke, Mark and Matthew, which record this account, use a different word. Uh, they use the word, uh, Jesus uh, addresses the man using the word son. And, and do you hear how tender 
that is, when Jesus looks at this person and, and he doesn't say son of a, as, as angry as the angry people in the crowd might say, but he, he looks at this person and he says, son, he says, son. And, and Jesus uh, in Luke four kicked off his ministry by, by reading Isaiah 61 about, I am the, the, I'm the, the son of man. I'm the servant of the Lord that that's been promised by God to deliver uh, the people of God. Uh, in another part of Isaiah in Isaiah 53, Jesus, the ministry of this servant, the Lord, is described as one who uh, is so gentle that a, a smoldering wick he would not ex- extinguish, a bruised reed he would not break. And so you can hear the tenderness in Jesus' voice as he looks on this young man and calls him son. And, and then he does something uh, even more spectacular. He says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven and if we're honest, that's actually a little bit anticlimactic, isn't it? Because you, you see the whole scene that's unfolded, that, that there's a new skylight in this guy's home, and all this man gets is forgiveness. Like, it seems like the obvious thing that was supposed to happen is that this man who showed up paralyzed was supposed to leave walking. And, and you could imagine the paralyzed person in this instance saying, well, Jesus, that's great. Like, forgiveness is good and all, but I don't know if you can tell, but I've come with maybe a more immediate need uh, there's something here that I've actually come here for that I wish uh, you, could, you could address for me. Uh, I, I have a more important need here, Jesus. And in Jesus, in Jesus with all the, the love and compassion in the world, looks at, this, look at this, looks at this paralyzed man and says, actually, no, you don't. No, you don't. You think, that the, you, think you know the main problem of your life, but you don't. Uh, and, and as hard and as difficult as your situation might, might be, you have a more pressing need still. You see, as uh, Jesus says, I I know you have needs. I know you have suffering, and and I'll get to that. I will get to that. But there's a deeper problem that needs to be addressed first. You see, Jesus is saying that, that uh, that the biggest problem in any person's life is never their suffering. It's their sin. That the biggest problem that all of us have is not the particular circumstances that we find ourselves in. It's, it's the sin that, that is uh, covering all of us in every inch of our lives. And Jesus says that uh, I'm not going to heal your legs just so that you can walk your way to hell. It, Jesus looks at this man and says, I see what you think is your biggest problem. I see what you think is your biggest need, but there's a bigger need I need to address first. See, the paralyzed man had a deeper need than what he could see. And if we're, and if we're honest, friends, the same is true for us as well. Jesus looks at our lives and he sees a problem beneath all of our, all of our other problems. And when Jesus says that, uh, that we have a deeper problem, what he's not doing is he's not minimizing or making light of the suffering or the circumstances that you find yourself in. Jesus says that, that your hurts are real, your pain is legitimate. Uh, the things that, that you find are, are difficult and hard, they are hard and, and, and your suffering is real. And, and I'll get to that, Jesus says, I will get to that. But there's a deeper problem that needs to be addressed first. That, that if you were to have all your other problems in life fixed, but, if, but the problem of your, of your sin is unaddressed, you're not getting any real help. You're not getting any true or lasting comfort in your life. Whatever you think is wrong with your life, we have a deeper problem still. And that is that we're separated from God. We're alienated from the, from the creator who made us, from the person who has ordered this world. And, and until we get that back in order, until that is realigned in our lives, Nothing, no other fix is going to truly give us what we're, what we're hoping for or what we're longing for. Jesus is saying that our need for forgiveness is the most fundamental need of every human who has ever lived, who's ever existed. That's why we need forgiveness, because it's the most foundational need of every human heart. You know, the author uh, Herman Melville had it right. Um, Herman Melville, uh, you know, Moby Dick, he, he wrote, uh, 
God have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all cracked about the head and sadly need mending. That's our reality. We're all cracked about the head and sadly need mending. We all need forgiveness. And if at our deepest level, that's what we all need, then how do we get it? How, how do we get forgiveness? You know, that, that's actually a very interesting question, not just because uh, our text talks about forgiveness, but even uh, the topic of forgiveness is a, is a, is a, hot, is a hot button issue in our, in our society uh, today. Um, you know, so if you've grown up in church, uh, you, you've, when we get to this part about the, the religious leaders speaking up, you know, Jesus has said, son, your sins are forgiven you, and the religious leaders start to question us. Who does Jesus think he is? Who has the right to forgive sins but God alone? You see, um, this is, I think, the first time in Luke's gospel we actually meet these religious teachers. And for us, uh, it's easy for us to just, you know, if you've grown up at church, just to label them the bad guys, the stormtroopers. Uh, these are the people who are always, uh, you know, always getting in Jesus' way. But what you should know is that initially, uh, in the first century, they weren't viewed as the bad guys. They were viewed as the good guys. They, they were here to help people follow God. And, and in fact, um, their question, their objection here is actually a legitimate one. You know, they, they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's technically correct. Only God can forgive sins. They're not questioning the, 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 you know, the benefit of forgiveness itself. They're just questioning the zip code of where this forgiveness is coming from. Should it come from Jesus? Because only God can forgive sins, they say. And, you know, so in the text, the question is over who has the right to forgive sins. Uh, but the whole notion of forgiveness itself in our culture is being questioned. Uh, as I was preparing this, this message, I was uh, reviewing just some articles uh, and even uh, trying, to, trying to skim some books on forgiveness that have been written just in the past few years. And what I've discovered is that um, there, there's, there's a real mood, particularly among uh, the younger generation, that forgiveness uh, is incompatible today with modern conceptions of justice. Uh, that while it was understood that you know, forgiveness is, you know, has been pitched and marketed to people as a, as a tool for those who have been hurt or for the victims. Uh, people today now view f- forgiveness as, as something that is a, a tool in the oppressor's hands to let people uh, who have been hurt and wounded, uh, you know, it, it keeps the oppressors in power and it gives uh, those who have been uh, afflicted and victimized just a tool to cope with, what's, uh, with the wrong that's been done with them. Uh, even in the church, if we're honest, we can see how forgiveness has been used to keep uh, people who are, uh, in power who have done wrong in positions of power. It's been used to silence victims, to dust uh, bad behavior under the rug. And so we can understand how uh, the display of, uh, in, uh, of misapplied forgiveness in the church has cheapened it, has made people question uh, whether it is a moral good in our society today. In our society today. Uh, you know, we can resonate with the words of Lewis Smedes, a philosopher who lived 40 years ago who said that uh, we need to take seriously the skeptic's suspicion that forgiveness is a religious trick to seduce hurting people to put up with wrongs they don't deserve. Uh, you know, in the past, when we've, when, when, when Christians and when the church has used forgiveness in flippant ways, uh, in half-hearted ways, uh, we, we need to uh, realize the harm that that, that fake forgiveness, that incomplete uh, atonement has done where, where we have told people to uh, restore relationships without redefining the boundaries. Uh, we need to acknowledge how and, and, and where uh, half-hearted forgiveness or incomplete forgiveness uh, where cheapened forgiveness has hurt, has hurt people and how the church has been uh, culpable of that in some ways. But we, we need to understand that the path forward, friends, is not to dispense with forgiveness altogether, but it's to see how forgiveness is truly displayed and truly lived out. 
Uh, last year, the journalist uh, Elizabeth Bruning, she writes for the, the New York Times, among other places, wrote that as a society, we have absolutely no coherent story, none whatsoever, about how a person who's done wrong can atone, make amends, and retain some continuity between their life before and after their mistake. In other words, she's saying that in a world without forgiveness, the soul-defining feature uh, of our humanity is the worst thing you've ever done, the worst thing you've ever posted, the worst thing you've ever said, uh, that, uh, that without forgiveness, without absolution, all you are is the worst thing that you've ever done, and there's no, and there's no coming back from that. And, in that uh, and, in, and because of that, your only option uh, is bitterness towards those who have wronged you uh, and, and joining the angry mob so that everyone becomes as miserable and as exposed as you are. Um, the author Philip Yancey says that in a world without forgiveness, revenge is our only option. And in that world, fairness never comes. The chain reaction set off by every act of vengeance ties both the injured and the injurer to an escalator of pain. The chain, uh, both are stuck on the escalator as long as parity is demanded, and the escalator never stops, and it never lets anyone off. See, in a world without forgiveness, all we can do is pull each other further down and further down. But the ministry of Jesus is not one where he comes to push us down. He's come to raise us up. He, he's come to pull us up. He's come to make us whole. How? By, by bringing forgiveness, by offering true forgiveness. See, Jesus hears the question in the minds of other religious leaders about who can forgive sins but God alone, and he calls out to them uh, and says, which is easier to do? To tell this, this paralyzed man, take up your mat and go home, or say, your son, you know, son your sins are forgiven. And, you know, it's, uh, you see, Jesus is, uh, the religious leaders were right to point out that only God can forgive sins, but the religious leaders were blind to the fact that God was in the room pronouncing forgiveness, that God was in the room saying that forgiveness is possible. And, you know, it's only within this frame of mind that of Jesus claiming to be God that this pronouncement of forgiveness only makes sense, right? Other, otherwise, it's completely insane. Like, you know, here's, here's an analogy. Uh, you know, I have two brothers. I have two older brothers. Uh, you know, my oldest brother, Andrew. My, I have a twin brother named Garrett. He's, a, he's two minutes older. He's a quarter inch taller. He never lets me forget either fact. Um, but say, you know, my brother Garrett, you know, comes and punches me. Why? You know, because little brothers never give older brothers anything to, you know, to hit them for. Um, but my brother, my, you say my brother Garrett hits me, and then my brother Andy steps in and says, you know what, Garrett, I forgive you for hitting that. Like, like, wait, no, you can't do that. Wait, you, you are in no position to offer forgiveness because you are not the person who is offended. And, and this is similar to the situation, right? How can Jesus enter into this situation and say, son, your sins are forgiven? The only way he can do that is if Jesus is God, is if Jesus is the creator, the maker of all things. Because, see, Jesus can only declare forgiveness of sins if uh, he is the person where every time we sin and wrong someone, uh, someone else, someone made in God's image, that sin is by definition an extension, not just a, not just a sin against a person, but it's a sin against the God who made us. And so Jesus can only, can only forgive people's sins if he says, I am your creator. I am the one who made you. Otherwise, that, that sentence is an empty sentence. He can't offer forgiveness that he, that he can't really give. So Jesus says that I can forgive sins because I am God. And, and it's moments like this where, you know, if, if you've read the Gospels and if you're here and, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you say, I'm not a Christian because, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Like, 
uh, you know, it's, it's his followers that, that gave him that title. It's, it's stories like this that should give you pause because after Jesus says to this person, your sins are forgiven, the religious leaders are accusing Jesus of committing blasphemy. And you can only, you can only commit blasphemy when you say things, uh, when, when, you can only commit blasphemy when, when you're pretending to be God and you're making divine, divine claims about yourself or divine claims about other people. And so it's moments like this that, that Jesus is claiming to be God while, while, the, while the words, I am, I am God, are not coming out of Jesus' mouth. Everyone in the room, by the nature of the context, understands the, the kind of claim that Jesus is making. The kind of claim that Jesus is making. Um, you see, Jesus is, is um, coming to forgive his sin, but he's, but he's, and, he, and he's doing so by claiming divine authority. And we all need forgiveness this morning, and Jesus has come to give it. And so let's actually answer that question. How do we get forgiveness? Well, receiving forgiveness involves two things. First, it's that you need to see Jesus not just as some miracle worker, not not just as some healer, but you need to see Jesus as the God who's come for you, the the God who's come to forgive your sins. Jesus forgave the man's sins in verse 5, and the religious religious leaders are thinking he's going to commit blasphemy. And you know, and, and this is uh, something that this is a literary tool that Luke is using here because this is the first time in Luke's gospel where we have this triad of uh, the religious leaders of uh, Jesus saying um, the Son of Man, and um, sorry, what uh, the triad here as um, yeah, Jesus uh, the Son of Man, and you know the last time that we see this combination of Jesus, uh, the religious leaders, and the charge of blasphemy is that is is in Luke twenty two. Uh, where Jesus is being falsely accused of committing blasphemy, and Jesus responds by calling himself the Son of Man. See, Luke is prefiguring here in chapter 5 what Jesus is going to do at the end of the gospel, where Jesus is going to uh, be committed of a crime he didn't commit and go to the cross in our place to bear the penalty that our sins deserve. Uh, He's going to bear the the, the condemnation that all of our wrongs against one another uh, fully deserve. And and so Jesus is, is foreshadowing what it's going to cost Jesus to forgive our sins. And when Jesus asked that question to the religious leaders, which is easier, to, to heal a man of his paralysis or to forgive, or forgive someone's sins, you know, we, we both think that those are, those are both impossible things, right? On some level, those are both impossible questions because those are only some things that God can do. And, and Jesus, in the situation, proves he is God. He, he proves that he can forgive sins because he, by, by proving that he can heal a paralyzed man. He, he proves his divine claims of forgiveness by doing, uh, by doing this miraculous healing. See, Jesus will ultimately go to the cross uh, to pay for our sins. And, and Jesus, I think, in answering that question, which is, which is harder, to, to forgive or to heal? Jesus would say that, that to forgive is harder because in forgiving this man's sins, Jesus knows it's going to cost him his life. Now, Jesus knows that forgiveness is ultimately going to cost his life on the cross, but the, but the story doesn't end there. Jesus goes to the cross to pay for our sins, but then he rises uh, as, as proof that, God's, that God has dealt with our sin. And when Jesus tells the paralyzed man to rise, get up, and walk, Luke, again, in, in, in literary form, is prefiguring what Jesus is going to do. Because the word that Jesus uses to tell this man to get up is, this, is the same word on the lips of the angels on Easter morning when, when the angels tell uh, the women who've come to the tomb that Jesus is not here. He has risen. See, in Jesus telling this paralyzed man to rise, he's, he's prefiguring for us what, what Jesus is going to do. He's going to go and die to forgive our sins, and he's going to rise as proof that our sins have been forgiven and set to the side. You see, we need to see Jesus 
not just as some miracle worker or some healer. We need to see him as more than a healer. We need to see him as the God come for us to forgive our sins. That's the first step towards forgiveness by seeing who Jesus really is. But secondly, and this is where our second story about Levi comes in, is that we get forgiveness not just by seeing Jesus for who he is, but by also seeing ourselves for who we really are. In the second episode of our passage, uh, Jesus is walking around town and he sees a tax collector named Levi. And tax collectors in in Jesus' day were viewed as traitors or as co-conspirators with the Roman oppressors. They they were viewed as people who are helping prop up uh, the oppressive state that's around them. They They were unpopular. They were viewed as unclean. But Jesus walks up to Levi and says, follow me. And in that moment, Levi drops everything and, and comes after Jesus. And not only that, but that night, Levi uh, continues to, to uh, show, his, uh, show his gratitude and his thankfulness by throwing a party for Jesus and inviting all his tax collecting and sending friends to come and join him. And again, the religious leaders uh, observe what's happening and they say, who does he think he is? Who, why, why, is, why, is your, why is your teacher, why is your rabbi eating with tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus responds by saying, "Well, it's not the it's not the healthy that need a doctor, right? It, it's the sick. Uh, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Jesus is saying, "I've not come for the people who think they're good. Uh, I've come to the people who know they're bad. Uh, I've not come for the people who think that they have it all together. I've come for the people who know they're broken, who 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 know they need mending, and I've come to make them whole." You see, it's uh, the the. What's interesting in this story is that we have two instances uh, between Jesus and the religious leaders. One is taking place inside a house, and one is taking place outside of a house with them looking in and judging. And in both cases, they miss the boat. And this should be a warning to us for those who have grown up around Jesus. Maybe you feel comfortable in a church place, in, in a church space this morning. Can this passage serve to unsettle you for a little bit? Because you can be inside the church, you can be outside the church, and you can still miss Jesus. You need to see Jesus for who he really is, and you need to see yourself for who you really are, as, as someone who is broken, who needs mending, who is in need of forgiveness. You see, we've all been cracked about the head, Presbyterians and pagans alike, and in Jesus alone can we find mending. We all stand on level ground this morning, and Jesus is delighted to call you daughter and son and to forgive your sins. And as Levi shows us, forgiveness leads to a life of joyful obedience, uh, of, of throwing a party with Jesus where his goodness and grace are experienced and celebrated, and, and the invitation has gone out for us to participate and join in. So let's experience that joy this morning, and let's be a people who so love and forgive others well that it calls more and more people to come in and experience the forgiveness of Jesus as well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of forgiveness that you have come to deal with our deepest needs. And Lord, we pray that, uh, that we would have the humility to receive that gift this morning and to trust you that, that while we think uh, we know what our deepest problem is, that we have the humility to receive forgiveness by your hand and to trust you that as you deal with our deepest need, that you will also work out your salvation, work out your, your healing, work out your deliverance in the other places where our souls need mending as well. We ask, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.